You're listening to My Evolved Life, a podcast that simplifies health and fitness and helps you maximize your life. My name is Vuna Nguyen, and I'm the creator of the Evolution Training System. We're so lucky to be living in the information age, meaning it's easier than ever to access information and find answers to any questions you may have. But isn't it confusing when you read information that's conflicting or worse yet, just sounds wrong? I'll be sitting down with industry professionals to give you clarity and leave you with tangible actions you can take immediately to improve your physical, mental, and psychological health. On today's episode of My Evolved Life, I had a great conversation with Lauren Romerl, a professional physiotherapist. And in this chat, we talked about how to get ahead of pain, how to manage pain when you have it, and how physical pain can really start to manifest itself in other areas of your life. Of course, we also talked about how physiotherapy can play a role in your life. I really did love my conversation with her. She had so many great insights, and you're going to love her too. Let's start the show. Today, we've got Lauren Romerl with us, who's been a physiotherapist since 2012. She's got a a Bachelor's of Science from BYU, so that's Brigham Young University. And she followed that up with a Master's in Physiotherapy from the University of of Queensland, and that's in Brisbane. Is that correct? Yeah, Brisbane, Australia. Perfect. And since then, she's really up her credentials with trainings in areas like vestibular rehabilitation, concussion assessment. Mm -hmm. You've done yoga for pain. You've even done acupuncture, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and then I'm starting dry needling in a couple weeks here. Perfect. So basically, you name it, she's done it. But most importantly, you're also a mother of Yes, I sure am. Fantastic. So needless to say, needless to say, I'm super excited to have her on the show. Um, And I'm positive we're going to learn a lot from her. So Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and for this opportunity. It's nice to be able to sit down and have a chat with you today. Excellent. Well, let's start here. Um, I know from my understanding, you have been practicing since, since 2012 as a physiotherapist. But your journey with rehab actually started when you were a child, around five years old, if I'm not mistaken. Do you want to start there? Do you want to tell us about that? How you kind of took that rehabilitation when you were a child and carried it onto a career in physiotherapy? Yeah, so when I was in kindergarten, um, I ended up getting a tumor just above my knee. And so I was pretty small and they weren't really sure. And technology's changed so much in the last many years. that they just ended up taking out about a third of my quad because they weren't really sure what to do. And so I had to start physio pretty young at five and did it on and off. And, you know, I'd have a few years where I'd need to do it and then things would be good. But then kind of you hit puberty and things change and I would need to go again. And so just on and off over the years, I did a lot of physio so that I could participate in activity. And so I wanted to do sports. And so each time I kind of took on something new, we'd find a new area that was sore. And so I worked with a lot of great physios over the years that left it that I was never limited. If I wanted to do something, I could. And so it was such a huge benefit to me. Yeah. And and that's when you made the decision that you wanted to do it kind of long-term as a career to help other people from pain, so to speak. Is that correct? Yeah. So then I went off to college, you know, you don't really know at 18 and was in school for a bit and just knew I wanted to help people. And that just seemed like a good path for me that I'd be able to balance out Um, a future family, and then a career. And so it's been great because I find I can work kind of as much as I want, or if I want to work less, I can work less. But when I'm at work, I have that opportunity to make a difference for people. 
whether it's with their pain, their function, getting them back to activity. There's just so many options of how I can help them get back to something they love. And I know it works because it's worked for me. Uh, That's amazing. And I understand that just based on kind of studying you, you've lived a lot of your life in pain or suffering through pain. Were you able to kind of translate some of those experiences into the way that you help others? Yeah, 100%. So when I was um, 18, I was diagnosed with endometriosis, which ends up being chronic pain. And there are some times that it's better than others for sure. And it took a while for me to kind of accept that and learn how to deal with it. Because I think initially when we're in pain, we just think that everything's going to be about that pain, but it doesn't have to be. So over the years, I've learned so much about how to manage my own pain and how to have it where it's just kind of background noise. Sometimes there is some pain and sometimes, you know, there's so many other things that are more important in my life that it's not really there. And so being able to learn to manage that and finding that there's so many ways to deal with chronic pain where it doesn't have to be the focus of your life. It can be part of your life, but it doesn't have to be your life has given me, I think, kind of that insight into how to help other people. Because then I can look and say, hey, like, I've been there, and you know what? It's hard, and it sucks, but there's so much that you can do. It doesn't have to be your future. Oh, absolutely. And one of the fascinating things that you've said in in your blogs uh, is that pain shows up in every area of life. Mm -hmm. So can you speak a little bit about how... Uh, physical pain can really start to manifest itself in other areas of your life, like mental health, um, if you don't get ahead of it? Yeah, so I think that's one of the big things that we don't always recognize is that if we have pain, we just think, oh, you know, I'm sore, and sometimes we just let it go on because we're trying to tough it out. But when you're in pain, physically, it starts to take a toll on your sleep. And so if you're not sleeping well, then your pain can be worse. But then when you're in pain all the time, it takes a huge toll on your mental health because it's draining. Pain is exhausting. And not just that physical exhaustion, that mental and emotional exhaustion. It's going to take it out of you. Every time you can't participate in something because you're in pain, it takes a little bit out of you. Um, And especially Mm. with mental health, the more you're in pain, the more likely you are to suffer from anxiety or depression. It just impacts so much. I mean, no physical pain can manifest itself in those ways, but also anxiety and depression can manifest in physical ways. So it goes both ways, that if we're not managing one of these areas, it's going to affect everything. Right. So they're very much not independent. They're very codependent. There's a very strong relationship between physical and mental health or pain. Yeah, huge. So I found in just my personal practices that it's been a great opportunity when I work closely with psychologists or counselors or social workers because there's such a need for people in pain to have more than one resource okay. and to be able to know that, hey, yep, you're in physical pain, but also, you know, it's going to help is if you can learn to understand your pain, how you deal with it, how you manage it, um, how it's impacting you, that's going to help you heal physically, but then you're taking care of that mental health aspect. So I find working with other practitioners makes such a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. That's fantastic. Now, let's go back to what you do quickly. Yeah. Um, when we hear, as a layman, when you hear rehab, you think you know what it is, mm-hmm. right? But there is, I, I believe there's still a misconception or confusion as to what rehab really, really is. So how would you define rehab? Um, that's a big one. So I think some of the things with defining rehab is it's not just exercise. A lot of the time people come in and they think, oh, you're just going to, I'm going to come in, you're going to make me do exercises like with TheraBands and it's just going to be painful and then it's going to be terrible. 
But really when you're coming in for rehab, it's me getting to know you and getting to know what are you here for? What are your aches and pains? What are your goals? What functional things are limited? What do you do every day that you can't do? And then it's creating goals around that. And the goal with rehab isn't for me to see someone forever. I want to see someone as few times as they need to be successful. And so I want to make it so that they have the tools to take care of themselves. So more often, rehab isn't just some exercises. It's more us making a plan. How are you going to manage at home? What are you going to do if your pain flares up again? What can you do proactively or preventatively as well so that you have a long-term plan to take care of things and that I'm just there as a resource for people to come and kind of check in as needed once we get them back on track. Okay, so I, I do want to touch on something you said there, yeah. being proactive. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, we're not a very pro- proactive society. We wait until something happens and then we correct it after. But let's say an, an individual wants to be proactive. What can you do to kind of stay ahead of pain? Yeah, there's actually a lot. So there's kind of this movement right now in the physio world called prehab. And so it's more that proactive or preventative rehab. And so starting ahead of time, so especially for athletes or people that participate in a regular activity, it's great to get ahead of things. So someone that's doing like a ball sport and they're doing a lot of the same movement. So if you're always like pitching a ball or throwing and your arm's always up, we want to do everything we can to strengthen the rotator cuff, Um, around the scapula you're really protecting and building strength so it's looking at what you use often and how to build those muscles to prevent injury in the future so as a professional it sounds Mm -hmm. like you're always upping your credentials Uh, you're always training learning new things what what is the driver behind that you know as opposed to just mastering your physiotherapy I think there's a few things behind it first of all I love learning so I think that's a big thing is I'm passionate about it I enjoy it And another big part is for physio, it's evidence-based. You always want to have the best evidence-based practice. And if you're not staying up to date with research, how are you going to provide that for people? And as we're growing as a society and as technology is evolving, we're learning so much more. Like where physio was, even when I was in school, is so much different than where it is now. And where it's going right now and where it's probably going to be in five or ten years is going to be new as, as well. So if I'm not staying on top of things, I don't think I'm giving people the best care I possibly could. And I want to be able to confidently say, you know what, like, here's what the research is saying. Here's what we know right now. Here's what's working. Or here after, you know, X number of years, I've done all of these things and tried these things. And here's what I find works best. So let's start with that. And if that's not working, I have all these other tools that we can also access so that I have the best opportunity to help people succeed. So by having those tools, you're able to give... Um, each individual as unique a a, a program as possible. Yeah, 100%. The big thing with care is it's not just saying, oh, you know, a knee injury here, you're going to follow protocol A, and then, oh, that doesn't work, protocol B, or whatever, moving on. It's who are you, what are your goals, what are you looking for, and the care is so different for each person, even with really similar injuries. Okay, okay. Now, I'm going to ask you a tough question, Mm -hmm. or what I think is going to be a tough question. Um... How does an individual who's suffering from pain Mm -hmm. know when he or she should be going to see a a rehab therapist? Um, You know, if you were to throw it on a threshold between 1 and 10, where would they be? Oh, putting it on a scale from 1 to 10 is hard. It's a tough tough one. Yeah. I would say, because that's different for everyone. Like when we look at a pain scale, someone's 10 is going to be someone else's 2. So I would say when it's not working for you anymore. 
when it's impacting you and it's affecting part of your life. If it's limiting you from doing something you enjoy, you need to be get, checking in with someone, getting some help. If you know it's kind of that ache where it's annoying, but it doesn't bother you at all, if it doesn't bother you, that's fine. When it doesn't work for you anymore, that's when you should seek some help. Okay. So one of the problems that we have, I think anyways, nowadays is that we like to self-diagnose mm-hmm. or, you know, we'll go onto Google, Google or WebMD and self-diagnose. Um, and that could be a dangerous game because, well, really, who knows better than a professional, right? Yeah. Um, things that you find on, on the internet can be very, very generic. Do you find that to be a problem at all where, where clients that come to you, they kind of they have this impression that they may know better than you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we do see that in some different aspects. I do a lot of vestibular therapy, so I work a lot with dizziness. And often people have this impression that all dizziness is vertigo. So they come in and they go, oh, I must have vertigo. Okay. And so they come in, they're pretty sure about that. And sometimes they've even seen another health professional, like a physician, who said, oh, yeah, probably vertigo. So they come in with this set idea, okay, well, how are you going to fix it? And not always as keen for the whole assessment. Because most of the time, I would say probably at least 60% of the time when they come in saying it's vertigo, it's not. So majority of the time when they have that impression, when we do some testing, that's not what it is. But it's just because that's the most common type of dizziness that people know. And it's the same with other injuries. When people come in and they think they know, um, it takes a little bit more work to build some trust almost and to say, hey, like that might be it, but I don't want to miss something. And so we're going to do a really thorough assessment to make sure we get the whole picture And then at the end of the assessment, I go through it with them and say, you know what, here's everything we found, here's what it looks like, here's the most likely diagnosis, or here is for sure the diagnosis, and here's the best treatment plan. And usually, if they can see that you're being thorough and that you're just trying to give them all of the information, they can get pretty on board by the end. That makes perfect sense. Um, So that would be the self-assessment side. Mm -hmm. There are many people out there, and uh, you know, to some extent, myself included, where we also like to self-treat. Mm-hmm. Do you have any cautions there for somebody who might be treating themselves based off of advice they found on the internet? Yeah, it can kind of go two ways. They either are just doing something that might be in pretty much the wrong direction, where if it's not there was, um, if the diagnosis isn't what they thought it was, then it might just not be impactful, or it might potentially do more damage, depending on what they're doing. But the other big one I see is people will go, okay, especially with back pain. You know, I've hurt my back. It's likely you hear like my discs are out of line or something like that, which doesn't really match up with science very well. And so they'll come in and they'll say, well, you know, I hurt my back and I haven't really done any movement for six weeks and it's not gotten better. And that's one of the biggest problems is movement is one of the best treatments we can do. Especially with back pain, research is now showing that there's not a specific movement or exercise that's best for back pain. It's movement that's best. Hmm. So finding movement that's good for someone. So um, this um, this thought process that people have that they shouldn't move when they're in pain is actually what's setting them back in their rehab. Because the longer you're not moving, the longer it's now going to take for us to get you moving and change those pain signals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's a big one is when people think, oh, I have this injury. I should do nothing until it gets better. And that's kind of the treatment plan they follow, that it can take quite a bit longer for us to get things back on track. Okay. I think that sets me up pretty well for the next question I wanted to ask. So going on back pain. Mm -hmm. So when an individual is suffering from back pain, um, how does he or she decide between going to see a rehab therapist 
versus a chiropractor. Like intuitively, they may not know that, right? Mm -hmm. So how do they make that decision? A lot of it can be personal preference. Um, I know there's a huge variety in both how physios and chiropractors treat. It seems like more commonly now we're overlapping a little bit more where we're both kind of focusing on that initial decreasing the acute pain and then working on building strength. So I know some chiropractors that prefer just to help in that initial stage with the acute pain and then they'll transfer them back over to physio for us to do more of the long-term management. So I think it depends what you're looking for. Um, Usually on the physio side, we're really focusing on that strength building. So how are we gonna manage the pain, but also how are we rebuilding that strength and getting you moving again? I can't speak as much on the chiro side since I don't have as much experience there. But I know for the physio side, a big thing that I'm doing with people with back pain is movement. How can we find movement that's gentle movement, that's not making your pain worse, but's getting you moving? Can it ever be too late to get into rehab? Like, can you wait too long, so to speak? Not from what I've seen. I guess there are probably some caveats to that. Like, if you're with a stroke, the sooner you have rehab, the better options you have. Uh, within those first two years after a stroke is when you're going to get the most out of it. And I find cases like that are a bit different because usually you're in hospital and you're getting transferred from care through that. But with more of those everyday injuries that happen kind of at home or in sports and those everyday things, for the most part, there isn't. I've seen people with concussions three years down the road and we've had great success. Um, people that have had like shoulder injuries or back injuries and like, oh, you know, and I hurt my back 15 years ago, and then it kind of got better, and life happened, and then it got worse, and they'll have had a few incidences of it over the years. Just because it's been a long time since the initial incident doesn't mean there's nothing we can do. Usually, there's still quite a bit we can do with it, and it just takes a bit more time. So the longer we have pain, uh, the longer it's going to take for us to get into rehab. Right. Yeah. So, so it's really just pain management at some points, and oh, that, that, that's, that's great. Now, I want to ask you a fun question. Okay. Uh, given that you know you did go through rehab as a uh, as a child, and you do have two kids of your own, mm-hmm. are you doing anything with your kids today that you can kind of share with parents out there um, that can set their kids up for long term success and staying away from pain? I think the big thing with kids is just getting to know your milestones a little bit. What benchmarks should your kids have and when should they be getting there? Because if they're not getting there, it's good to just get in for an assessment with a specialized pediatric physio. Mm-hmm. Um, so with things like crawling, often I know as like when I was a new mom, that's a big stress. Is your kid crawling in time? Whose kids are crawling from baby class? Where are they at? And crawling actually isn't a developmental milestone. Kids don't have to crawl. They can go from sitting to kind of moving, however, whether it's a scooting, an army crawl, a crawl, to standing and walking. But if they don't crawl at all, that's okay. And that's not a milestone that a kid has to hit. But, you know, if your child's not walking by 18 months, that's a time to just kind of check to see if there's um, physically a reason why they're struggling with it that can be worked on. Because that early intervention makes a big difference. Right. Yeah. Um, So what about a little bit later on in their lives? So I know a lot of kids, they get involved in sports and stuff like that. And injuries are natural. Mm -hmm. uh, But we do have a lot of kids playing, say, football, you know, getting into contact sports a little bit earlier. I know you you work a lot with the brain. Yeah. Um, Is there any advice you can give there? Yeah. So I think if you're trying to be proactive in more of those contact sports, um, I know they're trying to change some of the regulations, and some have been changed at the age that contact can start now, especially in hockey, which is going to make a bit of a difference. Because do kids, when they're you know eight, need to be body checked? Probably not. 
we'll let the brain develop. But as a parent, with anything like that, always have your kid in a helmet. A helmet's not going to prevent a concussion, but it's going to prevent something more serious. So even if it's, you know, your kid's on a bike, get them in a helmet. They're doing anything that could have that contact sport, get them in a helmet. And then I would say it's good to just evaluate how often are they getting hit. If they're in a sport that has a lot of contact, are they taking a lot of big hits? And just noticing, is there any change with your child? Is it cognitive? Is it mood-wise? Um, things like that to watch because if they are noticing any change, you want to stop the activity and get an assessment just to see how they're doing, especially as they're still developing. Now, I don't have kids myself, but, you know, that is the plan at some point. And mm -hmm. I want my kids to be as active as possible, to be as involved in sports and physical activity as possible. And I know there is a fine line between letting kids be kids, mm -hmm. but at the same time, putting them in a position of success or to succeed, right? Yeah. Um, and not sheltering them too much. So it sounds like, hey, just, just continue to uh, monitor. And mm -hmm. if you're playing contact sports or wear a helmet it seems very very intuitive um, but sometimes we don't think that way right we we do what we see not necessarily what's common sense yeah and I think a lot of it is that just following your intuition knowing your kid knowing what's working for them one of the other things that's also good is often if kids just play one sport there's a season to it so it's usually a few months of the year that they're not doing anything get them in something do something in that off time because if you have that gap where you know there's four or five months they're doing nothing, then you know basketball, soccer, whatever sport it is starts up and they get running again, then they're often getting those shin splints, their feet might be hurting. They're more susceptible to things if you've had a period of nothing. So mm. keep them active year round. Okay, okay. Now I, I don't want to stay on the kid, the child topic too too much, mm -hmm. but it is fascinating. I have one last question for you. Yeah. Now, children, they may not be able to articulate or explain their pain the way that an adult might be able to, mm -hmm. right? So are there any key words that you may want to listen to or, or, you know, just key indicators that they are in more pain than they're communicating and that they should be checked out? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on age. When they're really little and communication is a bit more of a barrier, it's just watching for change. Are they not eating well, not sleeping well, kind of what's changing? As they're getting a bit older, you know, you have kind of almost that sweet spot where they're young enough, they're going to tell you what's happening, um, but they can communicate it. Whereas when they get a little bit older, kind of in those teen years, and especially if they're in something competitive, they don't want to miss out. And they often know if they tell you how much pain they're in, they're going to have to miss a game, a practice, whatever it is. And they don't want to be benched. So I think in those years, it's important just to pay attention. How are they doing mood-wise is going to be a big one. Are there changes? Are you noticing there's something different in how they're performing or... Maybe um, do they seem like they're in a bit of pain, even though they're not saying anything? Are they grimacing every time they land or plant a foot or throw something? And what kind of care are they doing at home? Are they coming home after practice and they're trying to ice or putting heat on or things like that? Because if they're trying to self-manage a bit, they obviously are suffering, and maybe they're just worried about being pulled from a game. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, I do want to bring it back to adults one final time. Yeah. Now, this is a lot of this is from my experience. Yeah. As an adult, sometimes you can get into this state of being so proud, mm -hmm. especially as a man, uh, as a man, as males. We don't want to admit that we're in pain. Mm -hmm. You know. So, on that train of thought, 
what is the worst case scenario if you have pain and you just don't and i want you to you know just just put it out there what is the worst case scenario if you have pain and you don't treat it worst case scenario that's hard because it depends exactly what the pain is and what's happening um say mm. it's my shoulder you know Mm. a, a lot of guys i mean we we like to toss around a lot of weights yeah. and hit the bench press yeah. and you know what that leads to shoulder pains mm-hmm. you know um and there have been points in my life like i'm very 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 pain free right now mm-hmm. knock on wood but there were points in my life where i would suffer from pain and i would live through it for years at a time mm-hmm. luckily it never escalated past that because yeah. probably because i got smarter about it yeah but had i not what could have happened to that shoulder uh, well, if you're not doing anything about it and you are letting yourself suffer from the pain, so you're going to start losing strength, you're going to lose range of motion, but the longer you have pain, so if you're having that consistent pain for three months or longer, it becomes chronic pain or persistent pain. And at that point, that's when we notice there's more changes in the um, pain receptors, the signals your brain's sending. That's when it's more likely to be affecting your mood, your sleep, your mental health. So the longer you're leaving that pain unchecked, the more you're doing kind of as damage as a whole, if that makes sense. Because you're now starting to affect every part of your well-being. And I know it can be a bit vulnerable for people to come in and say, you know, I'm not doing well, I'm struggling. Um, Especially if they feel fit coming in and saying, hey, like, I can't do this because of pain. But that vulnerability and being able to just ask for help in any aspect of our life is so important. Because you know what, you come in and I'm never going to be judging something. I'm going to be like, hey, you're in pain. Okay, when did this start? Let's set a plan. Let's make a goal. Let's get you back to what you're doing. There's never any judgment in that situation. It's just like, great, you've come in. Let's get you going and let's make a change. So living through it, pushing through it, it's not a good idea. I wouldn't recommend that. And there is kind of that mentality like, I got to push through it as much as I can. If I can't push through, get help. Get help sooner. Get help before it affects everything so it takes less of your life to fix it. The sooner you get in there and the sooner you get started on treatment, the less time you're going to be going for treatment and you can't write back to what you're doing instead of potentially suffering for years, right? That's that's common sense. It makes perfect sense. But we don't. Many of us don't live or abide by common sense. No, most people don't. <laughs> but it's always a good reminder. You know, if you're having that pain, what's the harm in getting checked out? And a big thing is most people have benefits. If you have some benefits, why not use them to get checked when you're sore? Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great. So, what's next for you, Lauren? Um, you said you were gonna start uh, dry needling. Mm-hmm. What else? Yeah. So I'm taking a dry needling course in the next few weeks here. So adding that in. Um, also delving a little bit more into that physio yoga sense okay. where I'm really looking at the whole person and general well-being. So it's not just when you come in and you know your shoulder's sore, it's your shoulder's sore, but how are you doing? What's it impacting? How is your sleep? How's your mental health? What um, are your beliefs around pain? How are those beliefs affecting you? How can we get you moving? So just kind of looking a little bit more at that general wellness aspect because I want people to leave feeling better than they were before and having tools in all those aspects. So often that means, you know, using the network that I have to refer people to someone else and say, hey, you know what, here's some really great counselors or fitness professionals because coming to me for personal training isn't what people should do. You know, I get them going and then here's some trainers I've worked with that I highly recommend that can get you to that goal that you have or 
you know, if you need some help with occupational therapy or things like that, there's so many other professionals and giving people those tools and information so that if they need something else, they can access it as well. I love it. Very, very mm-hmm. genuine. You have a, a passion to help and it's mm-hmm. very, very clear that shines through. Um, who are you looking for? Or more specifically, who should be looking for Lauren's services? Like, do you have a specific demographic, gender? Who are you looking for? Um, I'm looking for people that are in pain that want to make a change. I'd say that's the big one. People that um, are suffering or have tried things and it hasn't worked because I'm ready to sit down and work through, you know, what hasn't worked for you? Let's make a new plan. Let's do something different. I think that's the big thing is people go, well, I tried physio once and it didn't work for me. Okay, that's all right. But you know what? There's so much more we can do. I always work individually one-on-one. We have a private room. So it's that one-on-one time and attention saying, hey, what's going on with you? Okay, what didn't work? What do you enjoy? And making the exercises or our treatment based around things people enjoy. So I'd say kind of anyone in pain. And then I do a lot with dizziness, and I do enjoy that because dizziness can be pretty scary. And it's more common in females and more common over the age of 60. And as you're aging and now all of a sudden as you're dizzy, it's a scary feeling. Sure. And so I really enjoy that because you can make such a huge difference for someone, just being able to reassure them, being able to treat their dizziness and get them back on their feet. If an individual is living an evolved life, what does that look like to you? I think that's kind of twofold in the sense living an evolved I think life, I think you need to be taking care of yourself. So whether that's like the self-care you do at home, just checking in on yourself, both mental health and physical health, um, looking to see kind of what you need to be able to take care of you so that you can do kind of the second part is to serve others and to help others. There's so much that we have that we can give to others that can benefit them. And I think sometimes we underestimate that and underestimate what we have that can be so beneficial to other people. But really, whether it's just taking a few moments to help someone, you know, at the store or going out of your way and volunteering somewhere, I think living a life with service is a big part of living an evolved life and helping those around you and in your community. That's excellent. So not just taking care of yourself, but taking care of others as well. Yeah, 100%. I think that's extremely profound. Um, Okay, so if somebody's looking for you, where do they find you? Yeah, so there's a few places you can find me. I'm kind of on all the expected places in social media. I'm under YYC Physio, so I'm under that for Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and then I have a blog, which is my favorite of all of them, and it's yycphysio.blogspot.com. And I just love that opportunity to write and kind of share a little bit more about my personal experiences and thoughts on health and wellness. And I think being able to give some insight on things that have worked for me just kind of helps people understand who I am, but also kind of a path that I've had to get to where I am and that there are so many ways that we can, you know, be healthy and well and get through things. That's excellent. Thank you so much for the conversation. That was so informational. Like that was so informative. I really appreciate your time and yeah, thank you again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I look forward to seeing kind of where everything goes with you guys and being a part of this. So thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of My Evolved Life. Guys, if you found any value at all, and I'm sure you did, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, or you want to be a guest or recommend a guest, send us a message on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at EvolutionVN. Oh, if you think your friends would enjoy this podcast, please make sure to share it with them. Until next time, live your evolved life.